I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today. And this is our hope that as we've gathered this morning, we get to experience Jesus, and not just any Jesus, but the resurrected Jesus. So there's this old greeting on Easter that goes like this, He is risen. risen Okay, and then if you've experienced Jesus, then maybe you have to have the comeback with a little more like oomph, okay? He is risen. risen All right, we're going to read about that in the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. So if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to take that out and open it up to 1 Corinthians. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair you can use, or you can go online, use your phone or your reading device to read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is in the New Testament. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote. And 1 Corinthians 15 is the great resurrection chapter from Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to start reading with verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me. And then jump down to verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. One of the many things that I love about Easter is that It forces us to focus. It's one of those weeks when we don't really have to think about what to talk about. I don't really have to think about the topic for the day. It usually is pretty obvious. And that's good because I'm a guy who sometimes gets distracted. Although sometimes Easter distracts me, I'll confess to you, this morning I was about three blocks from home and I realized I forgot to shave this morning. I have some other things that distract me. Here's the number one distraction I face in life. Anybody else have to wrestle with that? And of course, while I'm Googling this week the 10 biggest distractions, one of the things that popped up was the the 10 most uh, consumed Easter candies. Would you like to guess? We'll just do the top one. What do you think is the top most consumed Easter candy? Yeah, you're all wrong. I couldn't hear you, but... um, Reese's peanut butter eggs, the peanut butter cups that are in the egg shape, and you can't go wrong with those. I also came across this distraction while surfing these lists. Top 10 Sonic the Hedgehog characters who would instantly become my friend if they were real. And who could resist something like that? So I had to go look at that. But of course, now I'm distracted. Okay, and it's not just Google who distracts us. Has anyone ever been beguiled by any of these? 
And if you don't know what any of those mean, count yourself blessed because <laughs> these things suck us in and distract us. Of course, it's not just the social media. It's also the devices that distract us. <laughs> Ever been distracted from real life by your device? And of course, we use our devices for all kinds of things so to distract us. The other things that distract our, our attention, like our favorite music or our favorite sporting team or entertainment news or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever you can access on your device, it all becomes distracting. And of course, there are times when you know, we need distractions. I feel like over the last couple of weeks I've had a, a more than average number of conversations with people who were in the middle of some tragic thing. They were suffering pain and brokenness and living in a messy world. And after hearing so many of those conversations, and I want to be distracted. I don't want to have to face that kind of thing. But there's also times in my life when I want to have a clear and compelling focus. I want to have all my attention on one thing. And Easter is one of those times when I want focus. Because when we come to Easter, we recognize that Jesus is risen. And there's no better thing for us to focus on than that. And as we focus on kind of this essential truth in a messy world, we discover two things about resurrection God is love and God is life. And if we could just focus for a few minutes on these two things, that would be a great accomplishment for us today. I recognize that even with this basic focus on love and life, there are still some questions for some people, especially people who are kind of in the middle of mess or brokenness or trouble or suffering or pain. When we're in the middle of a life that isn't going the way we want it, we sometimes wonder, where is the God of love and where is the God of life? And we sometimes wonder, what are we supposed to do with even some good truth like the resurrection, that Jesus is risen? And it shouldn't surprise us that this all raises some questions for us because resurrection is actually one of those weird teachings of the church. We focus on it every year about this time. And we celebrate it with wonderful anthems and great hymns and great sermons. But really, resurrection doesn't make sense. Resurrection is not part of our everyday experience. We don't get to see this every single day. What we see every day is decay and sickness and death and trials and trouble. This is what we see every day if we are not too distracted from life. We recognize that the world is broken. Maybe springtime is one of our favorite times of the year because at least we get some maybe hint of resurrection when we look outside and we see the grass has turned green and the daffodils are blooming and everything looks beautiful for a time. But this is short-lived too because the blooming daffodils are going to fade and you're going to have to find time to mow your lawn. This is part of the cycle of life that we live in. True resurrection is a very rare thing. It's rare and it's miraculous when it happens. True resurrection is a reversal of death and decay. And we might wonder, where is a God of love and life when we live in a world that doesn't experience resurrection all the time? We long for it. We wish that it would happen. But instead, we get things like cancer and heart disease and poverty and injustice and homicide and suicide and 
infidelity and betrayal and addiction. These are the things we get. And we, and we want resurrection. We want reversal. Where's the God of love when this happens? And this question sometimes becomes very personal for us and very urgent when the problem of decay gets into our own life and we have to deal with it personally. We have to deal with it and it often comes without warning and without invitation. Some of you may be experiencing it right now. If not, just wait and you will be experiencing it someday. Where is the God of love when we are suffering, when we are hurting? And how can a loving God not intervene with resurrection? If you're asking these kinds of questions, you're not the first person to do it and you're probably not going to be the last person. The people uh, in Jesus' day were asking the same question. And for all the differences that might have been in Jesus' day between our day, the people were largely the same. They had the same kind of issues, the same kind of desires, the same kind of wishes. They were hoping for an abundant life, for flourishing, for a life free from pain and suffering. They were hoping for healthy lives filled with love, just like us. Don't we all want to love and be loved? Isn't that what we want? Now, speaking of distractions, last night I was here practicing this in the middle of the thunderstorm, which was kind of inspiring. And I got right to this page, page three, and I flipped over to page four. And my dear wife had snuck into my office and snuck a piece of paper in between here that says, I love you. Isn't that the sweetest thing? And then I'm completely distracted. I'm like, oh my gosh, where was I in the sermon? I don't know where I was at. Oh, here's where I was at. We all want to be loved, don't we? And we are no different than the people who lived in Jesus' day. We want to be loved. So some of the people who are wondering about where is God in the midst of this suffering, where is love and life, Paul wrote this letter to them. It's the thing we just read a few minutes ago from 1 Corinthians 15. This is what Paul would say to you if you're the kind of person who's wondering, where is God in your life? How does God fit in? Paul writes, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. This is what I preached to you, and you received it, and you have taken your stand on this gospel. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believe in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and He was raised again on the third day according to Scriptures. If you want to know how God fits into your life, no matter what your experience, remember the gospel. Whether you're having a great, joyous day filled with celebration or you're having a miserable day filled with suffering and trial, remember the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus lived and died and rised again to life. And this was witnessed not just by one or two individuals. This was witnessed by more than 500 people who saw Christ alive. This is God's most important message to all people. This is how we know that God fits into our life because God entered life. God came born as a baby in a manger and lived a perfect life. He experienced everything just as you and I experienced except without sin. And then he was condemned to die and he was nailed to a cross and he was buried and he was in a tomb for three days. And then he was alive again. He was raised to life. This is the heart of our faith. Because we believe that because Jesus lives, we also live. Because Jesus lives, we know that God is a God of love and life. That's what we know. Of course, even in Jesus' day, not everyone believed this. 
There were many who were doubtful because they didn't see resurrection every day. They didn't see it happening all the time. The idea of resurrection was weird. It was a weird concept. Most people thought it was impossible. Some people in that day thought that there was death and that was it. You die and it's over. There's nothing else. Finished. Others thought that death, it kind of ushers you into this shadowy, murky underworld kind of. And you live there in a kind of shadowy world. But they took a little bit of comfort because they thought your physical body didn't actually go there. Just some part of you, your soul, got to go to this murky underworld. Your body remained lifeless in the ground, if if that's the comforting part. Others suggested happier variations on this theme, and they saw that the release of the soul from the prison of the body actually, if you were like a heroic person, you did good things all your life, well, then you might get taken to a better place. Your soul would, but your body still stays in the ground. Whatever version of the afterlife they had, they all agreed about one thing. Resurrection doesn't happen. There's no such thing as being raised from the dead. Death doesn't get reversed. And this was the debate that was going on for some of the people that Paul was talking to. They had some of the same ideas. They didn't think that resurrection was possible. And this is what Paul had to say to them. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, then how can some of you say there's no resurrection? Because if there is no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. That's our testimony. But if He did not raise Him, then, in fact, if the dead are not raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. But, verse 20, that's the key verse, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Resurrection is... The reversal of death. Resurrection is not some kind of mystical game with mirrors and kind of the dream of new life. It's the cancellation of death. It's the destruction of the power of death. It's overcoming death. Resurrection changes someone who was dead into someone who was alive again, really dead into being really alive. And this is what we believe. Without resurrection, we're told, your faith is worthless. In fact, he goes on to say, of all people, we could be the most pitied We Christians, if there's no resurrection. Resurrection is essential and key for us to understand. This is where our hope comes from. Resurrection hopes turns us into people who know that the worst the world can do to us, the worst, death, that gets reversed. The worst the world can do to us, that gets turned on its head. The worst the world can do to us, That has no more power. This is our hope. We believe that because Jesus lives, we also live. And that's why we're here today, to celebrate this. And that's how we know that God is a God of love and a God of life. This is the gospel. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now, there's a big word. Listen to this again. This is actually Paul in Romans chapter 4. God raised Jesus from the dead who was handed over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Justification means being made right with God, being set right in every way. We are made right with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
We are made right by God's grace. This is a gift God gives to you freely. He says, this is a gift. You, re- you simply receive it. Grace is a love that's coming at us when we have done nothing to deserve it. Grace is being loved when we're unlovable. Grace is a one-way love. This is what we discover about resurrection. It's a one-way thing. It's even one way for Christ because Christ was dead. He could not raise himself to life. God intervened and raised him to life. This is how the Bible describes one-way love. Romans 5. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is love and God is life. Do you know this Bible passage? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love, mercy, will follow me all the days of my life. Because God is a God of love and life. Do you know this passage? Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love. God is love and God is life. How about this passage? Do you know this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world might have life through him. God is a God of love and life. And we know this is true because of the resurrection. That's how we know it's true. I thank God for a day like this for Easter, because this is a day when we can focus on this very basic truth that Jesus is risen, and because he's risen, I know that God loves us, and I know that God gives us life. There's one other time when I notice that people are really focused and attentive. They pay lots of attention. It's on funeral days, especially when they're sitting in a funeral. I know I pay a lot more attention at a funeral, and I've noticed many of you at funerals also pay very good attention. I'm not sure why that is, but I think death gets our attention. Maybe that's it. That's all it is. I once asked a man whose death was only a couple days away if he was afraid. Was he fearful? Afraid, he said in response. I'm not afraid because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And I said something really profound at that point, like, cool, or something like that. But I also had the presence of mind to ask him, can you say a little bit more about that? Can you tell me why you're not afraid in this moment? And this is what he said. He said, I'm hopeful 
Not because of what I believe about the future. I'm hopeful because of what I've experienced in the past. I look back over my life, all the mistakes I've made, all the times I've turned away from Jesus, gone my own way, strayed and got lost, and time and time again, He found His way back to me. He showed up. He got to me. He looked for me when I wasn't looking for Him. I don't think he'll let something like my dying separate me from his love. This man understood that God is love and God is life. And he actually stumbled upon something that grabbed his attention even more than death. And the thing that grabbed his attention was resurrection. And this shaped him He experienced this power of resurrection because he had known throughout his life his wandering, his backsliding, his betrayals, his offenses against God, his disobedience, the mess and brokenness that he's experienced. God never let go of him, but God continued to resurrect him throughout that. Because Jesus lives, he lives. And that's what I wanted us to focus on for just a few minutes this morning. And I hope that you'll go into the rest of this day focused on Jesus is risen. Let's pray together. God, we come before you this morning and I thank you for this great day. I thank you for these good people, for their attentiveness as they've come here this morning to celebrate with us. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes and meets with us. Thank you for the gift of your Son, our Savior, who came and lived that life and went to the cross and then was raised again to life. God, we just thank you so much for meeting with us this morning. God, I want to lift up individuals here today who might be in the middle of a mess. They might be dealing with brokenness or tragedy or pain or suffering or sickness or sorrow or loneliness. God, I don't know what is represented by the individuals in this room, but I know this, God. You can meet each one of us right where we are. And you can meet each one of us, not as a God who is indifferent or God who is distant or God who's careless, but you meet us as a God of love and life. You meet us as a God who has resurrection power. So I pray, God, that today anyone here who might need encouragement might receive encouragement from you as they reflect on this truth. We thank you, God, that you are one who listens to our prayers and answers our prayers, and we thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.